Hey guys, before we roll into this next episode, I wanted to thank you all for the kind words that you've left on social media and for all of you that you have subscribed and left reviews. Those reviews help me keep this podcast free. And Matthews, one of my sponsors, was gracious enough to give me a bow to give away to one of you fans that has subscribed and left a review. So if you'd like to win a brand new Halon 32 with a six inch brace height in a Sika Elevated 2 camo. All you need to do is subscribe on iTunes and leave me a review and you'll be entered to win. And I'll be giving away that bow the first week of June to one lucky winner. So thanks again and enjoy the next episode. Hi, and welcome to the interviews with the Masters brought to you by TheOutdoorInsiders.com, your number one spot for inside information and quality gear. I get a lot of, lot of uh, questions thrown at me about Roosevelt Elk, and I am definitely not the, uh, the authority on them. I've only been uh, – I've gone twice, and uh, the first time was like a, it was like a fluke kind of deal. But uh, anyway, so – I went out there and I chased down the guys that I know get it done every year. They're just rosy hunting beasts. And uh, we have Shannon Mobs and Corey Ford with Angry Spike Productions on the phone with us today. How you guys doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm, I'm good, man. Uh, just uh, dealing with a little bit of hot weather down here and <laughs> dreading, dreading spring and summer because um, – that's when I go into my depression. I don't, uh, I don't do any spring hunts. And uh, my other business, my pool business, gets really busy this time of year. And I'm just, like, pulling my hair out. Plus, I just I don't, like that. I don't like the heat. And that sounds funny from a guy coming who lives in Arizona. But I really hate the heat. So Yeah, we got the same, just almost exactly the same problem up here in Washington, but not quite. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the opposite. It's raining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, cleaning rainwater out of swimming pools, I think, is is a big business around here. Oh yeah, <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I, actually, the last time I was there in Washington was I was on I was on a Rosie Elkhorn. I did a kind of like a I don't know if you want to call it semi guided. It was like a drop camp, basically. They, they gave us a map and set up camp for us and, you know, which allowed us to get access to it. It was really just, it was a pri- piece of private land that was adjacent to some public land. We camped and, and, and you could hunt on the private too, but there wasn't really much going on in the private part. Um, but it was up to, I'll get some like um, some timber company and paper company land uh, that other guys would have had of hiked or biked in, you know, I think seven or eight miles the gate was, um, and we were right there. You know, I only had like a mile and a half, two-mile hike every morning. So that was kind of nice. All right. Um, Do you remember yeah. what part of the state you were in for that? Well, I was in the Cascades. I just don't remember exactly the – going back, it's over 10 years now. Um, but talk about rain. So when I talked to the guy when I was going out there, it's like, oh, that's our dry season. You know, September is dry season. I swear uh, to God. Funny. I ended up leaving my boots there because 
I was overweight because they were too logged with water coming back. So oh, wow. I had to pay. I mean, I literally did not. I was not dry not one second the whole trip. Even when, like, even wow. when I got back and we were staying these like old, like you know, old tra- camper trailers that he kind of like converted to be like you know. Uh, kind of like lodging, so to speak, almost. You know, we all every every group guy had had his own like, uh, you know, trail or whatever. And man, even in there, it was just like it was just wet and damp, and nothing you did. Just I stopped wearing rain gear because it was it was just not even worth it. I was wet no matter what, so I figured I might as well move around freely. Yeah. So yeah, ten years ago, rain gear was much different than it is now, too. That's true. That's true. I had some pretty good stuff back then too though. I had I had um I had rogue gear and I had some Rivers West stuff. Um which yeah, was we know really Rivers good. West. Rivers West it, it was good until it started leaking at the seams. Um yep. and, and then it then it, you know, kinda of failed on you. But um yeah. And and you know, I didn't wear the boots that I, I used to be into like light hikers back then, you know, I didn't really like wear the kind of boots that I wear now, I wear like mountaineering boots and stuff and waterproof stuff now. Um, I've grown accustomed to being, you know, that heavier, but I used to be like light and fancy free back then, you know, and uh, those did not do well out there. <laughs> not at no, all. Oh, no. Oh, if my it's God. not a, a tall, a high top, it's, you're going to get wet. Oh, my God. And you know what? The thing was, even when I was, I did, I had did bring one pair of uh, um, waterproof boots with me, and my pants were soaked because I literally, I mean, I was walking through the ferns and God knows what else, freaking boreal rainforest, and like I was pretty much waist high in wet the whole time. So my pants would get wet and wick down to my socks, and then my socks would just eventually yeah. get wet, and I was wet anyway. So I was like, freaking screw it, man. Might as well yeah. just take the boots off and go, <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. That, and, and but, John, um, it's like that up here every September, just so that you guys know that are listening to this. Every <laughs> September, is all it does is rain. Washington and Oregon, it just rains flat out. <laughs> so if you don't like getting wet, you don't want to come to the Northwest Elk Hunt. Keep, keep out, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. But you know what? Despite all that, I had some good opportunities. So well, the very first night I get there, um, he's like, listen, there's an old apple orchard on the very, you know, far end of the property. And he said, you know, a lot of elk come in there. So I'm like, screw it. You know, we didn't have, it was late already. I was like, you know what, let's just go hit that. Sure enough, a bull comes in like a four by four. Um, you know, just in my eyes, just a complete raghorn. You know, I don't know. I never hunted never really hunted uh, rosies before. And, you know, I have coming from Arizona, I have certain expectations of what, what's a shooter elk and whatever. Uh, so I get him. He comes in for 30 yards. I just draw back on him, kill him in my head. And, you know, we let him go. We get back to camp that night. And, uh, you know, I show everybody on, on the video that I had this elk. And everybody's like, you freaking crazy. You let that thing go. And, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, Okay, and it's still in my head. I'm like, these guys are, you know, this is before uh, the uh, whatever the outfitter uh, wasn't there at the time. So if if I heard it from him, I probably would have been like, okay, you know, 
I'll, I'll just shoot whatever. And then so next couple of days goes by, and I, I get on this, I find this nice clear cut, and I can hear some, some elk bugling and whatever, and, I, you know, I sneak through the, sneak through the thick stuff, and I, and I get to the edge of where I know they're going to be at, or at least where it sounds like I pop out, and there's this 5 by 5 It's like, you know, like a 220, 230 bull, you know, what would be a decent Roosevelt elk. And I, again, I'm like, man, just another little bull. And I'm like, you know, so same scenario. I kind of just, I, I got a thing, you know, when I'm not going to kill something, a lot of times I'll see if I can just in my head. And so I got to a spot where I could and I drew back and, and I was like, all right, you're dead in my head, gone. And then I, I let him go. And that, so that night when I showed everybody that and Mike, the outfitter was there, he's like, dude, you know, you just like, let go like a, Really, 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 really good bull. <laughs> no, and of course I didn't have any other opportunities. But um, yeah, so all I got was wet and a bunch of spiders in my face, and um, <laughs> had to leave and, 150 and do, do, do elk in your head. Yeah, yeah. So that that was my last uh, rosy experience, and before that, um, it was I, I went for a couple days. And I was really black-tailed deer hunting, and I wasn't really elk hunting. I just picked up the tag and uh, didn't even see or hear any. So, but um, yeah, so that's my that's my rosy experience. So don't take any information from me. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, many times yeah, if you're hunting bulls. around the tree farm. Go ahead, Shannon. Oh yeah, two bulls in in in, in range. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I used some common sense and, uh, you know, applied my, my elk hunting knowledge from here in, you know, Colorado and Wyoming and mm-hmm. stuff. But, um, you know, that's kind of what some of the things, the questions that we got for you. Um, yeah. But before we get into that, why don't you guys give us a rundown about yourselves? Um, go ahead, Shannon, why don't you start? Yeah, so I grew up hunting. My dad, you know, had us out there hunting hound dogs and, uh, chasing deer around as we were old enough to walk and uh, was almost for substance and not so much for the sporting aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, I got into archery hunting just as a challenge and the weather is nicer. And as you know, your experience with Oregon and Washington is it rains in the fall. So yep. uh, the nicer the weather, the better it was. So I got into archery hunting and uh, started hearing help communicate. And that's where I just kind of built on from that. Um, as far as ASP and how we got started is started calling bulls in and people just wouldn't believe this, you know. You know, back when I grew up, the common belief was these Roosevelt just don't talk and they won't come right. to a bugle. So, but, you know, Brad, Croco, and myself, we, we started doing it and we're getting really successful at it. So, uh, to just to prove the point, we started filming it and uh, put a video together on VHS years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was amazingly popular by the local community. And so then we sat out to actually make one and uh, brought another couple guys on board and uh, put the very first one out in 2000. It was 2006. It was season 2005. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, went, it went over well. You know, it was in between, I would say, the popularity of Larry D. Jones and then the Primos coming on it was right in that time frame so awesome 
Yeah, that was like right in that sweet spot too, or when hunting DVDs were real popular. Was yeah, that so technology early two thousands. Exactly, technology was just becoming available to the common consumer like myself, mm-hmm. and uh, the popularity of hunting was growing, especially archery hunting at that time. Yep. was really exploding. You know, technology mm-hmm. was becoming more and more advanced. It was more and more uh, in, in able to actually kill your animals with a, with a bow and arrow. So, uh, right. yeah, it was a great time to start. Um, probably could have been a little bit more aggressive with it, but uh, we were having fun doing what we were doing. So and that's uh, pretty much it. Cool. Is Corey? Yeah, I'd, run down similar to yeah, similar to Shannon's uh, story is I, I started when I was uh, real young with my dad. My dad was a forester for one of the large timber companies around the area, and he spent literally the majority of his career out in the woods. And so, um, you know, hunting being out in nature was just part of something that we did growing up. And uh, I w- was a rifle hunter early on at a young age and um, eventually kind of got away from following my dad and the older guys around and started uh, black powder hunting for elk uh, early on and spent several years, um, you know, hunting bulls with, uh, with black powder rifle and until finally making the transition over to archery. And, you know, I think that the challenges that are presented in the archery world are, are uh, and the encounters are much more enjoyable, even though in Washington mm-hmm. state, we do have a pretty good archery season. Uh, you're still able to, I mean, uh, sorry, black powder season, you're still able to, to bugle bulls and and uh, and get you know some active cows where you're able to to use some of the tactics the exact same tactics you would during archery season but uh, oh, cool. you know just making the transition over to archery has been um, you know probably obviously one of the best experiences in my hunting career um, you know fortunate enough to kill a, a lot of blacktails over the years and uh, and several bulls not nearly as many bulls as Shannon has but. Um, you know, every year that we hunt and learn and become more successful, that number continues to stack up. Um, yeah. The nice thing about where we live in southwest Washington is it's real easy for us to cross over into Oregon and hunt both states. Uh, yeah. So that's primarily what we focus on is, um, you know, true coastal Roosevelt's in Oregon, uh, really spending time uh, west of Interstate 5 where you have the true Roosevelt herd. Uh, and then in Washington where I hunt um, with uh, – either with archery equipment during the black powder season or with the, with the black powder rifle, it's, uh, it's the Cascade Roosevelt's because they're east of I-5 but still in the Cascade. So as long as you stay west of the Pacific Crest Trail, you're hunting the Cascade Roosevelt's. Um, but, you know, our primary focus now and, and my coming on with ASP has really been to film those encounters with those big, mature Roosevelt, true coastal Roosevelt bulls. Um, and, you know, we, we, the way that we hunt now, we don't, we don't really waste our time with the smaller smaller bulls, and it's um, it's just a learned technique that that Shannon's been doing for several years now that that targets those mature bulls that we've all kind of adapted to, and it it makes that that archery season in Oregon um, pretty special. It's a it's a very fun uh, fun time of the year, and it's something that we obviously all look forward to. Uh, like as you said, hanging out in the rain and uh, yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> passing up on small bulls. So awesome! Sounds like fun, man. Definitely, uh, definitely on the uh, the short bucket list. Uh, I'm definitely gonna make it make it happen, and it's not this season, next season uh, to make another go at it. Um, it's just uh, one of those things that I've been wanting to do, and I, I, really, the only reason why I haven't is because something always comes up already 
that like you know you draw a tag like even this year I drew a Wyoming tag and it's like okay that's over the counter over there it's like okay you know you put it off because yeah I could I could do that next year I could do that next year but I definitely uh, I definitely made a pact with myself that it's going to be if not 2017 2018 to give it another go uh, it's just one of those things that and and blacktail too. I mean, I've been going to I've been blacktail hunting a lot uh, in California the last few years. Also, another creature that has eluded me. Uh, I've had a lot of very good close encounters, but I just um, for some reason cannot seem to make it happen. Even when everything else has gone right, I mean, that's a, I mean that's a story for another podcast. But I mean, it's just, <laughs> for sure. um, they're they're tough to hunt. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy because. It's not like I'm not, I'm not, that I'm not finding them. I mean, geez, I found some giant freaking bucks that people would be tickled paint to shoot. Uh, I mean, good, even good for like mule deer, you know? Um, and, and I've, and I've gotten within, you know, a hundred yards, probably 50 times. And it's just, I, I can't, I just can't seem to close that last. It, it's always something, you know? just run out of cover or whatever the case may be. And yeah, it's been, it's been eating at me. So this year, I'm we, <laughs> so we use the same slogan up here. It's always something. There's always something yeah. that goes wrong whenever it doesn't yeah. happen. When it turn, doesn't turn out right. It's always something. Yeah. So, so yeah, if, anyway. if you do make it back up, you know, that, that if you're looking for big, well, actually, if you don't want to catch hell from any of the hunting industry, you know, make sure you focus on the true, the coastal Roosevelt's or else they're going to, oh, that's, you know, they're mixed with the Rocky Mountains, and that's why you shot a 350-inch bull. Uh, right. We definitely have those in Washington, Oregon. You can shoot a Cascade Roosevelt, um, you know, well over 300 inches, and they're, and that's pretty common year after year they do that. But you go find those those uh, coastal Roosevelt's in that 220-inch five-point, you're not going to pass him up because people are going to slap you if you do. <laughs> no, yeah, I won't. Well, now I, I'm at that point that if I, if it's got bone on its head, he's dead. Um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not being too picky. Um, I just looked it up. I was like, I was on the Olympic Peninsula. So oh yeah, I, I was. On, I was on True Rosie. I thought yeah, that, that's that's True Rosie. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're you're yeah. probably up around the Quinault area, I would assume. Yeah. So um, could be up by Forks. Yeah, I could probably get the exact, but I'll I'll look that up. Yeah, just send the coordinates out, would you? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Because <laughs> we don't hunt over there, so send everybody that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not doing that. Um, yeah. Anyhow, so I got I got a bunch of questions that uh, I kind of saved for you guys here. And one of the things I get all the times is, and I know you guys have hunted both Rockies, and I know Shannon has because you, you got a really giant bull. And uh, what did you just shoot that bull? Uh, 2012. 393 and 2 yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's a little guy. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I always what, – what is the behavioral differences? Like what would you say the main differences are between Rockies and Rosies? I would say from my experience, um, the elk aren't any different. The environment, the habitat that they live in is what makes it seem like they're different. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those elk on the east side, they, they tend to have to, to travel greater distances to get to and from bedding to feeding. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's just a bigger country, you know. When you spook them there, they're going to run forever. And then they're, they're always changing their elevation depending on the weather or the water supply. Uh, here, the Roosevelt, uh, I, w- I would argue that a, a, a bull, you know, from where he's born to where he dies, is typically not more than, uh, you know, five to ten miles away. It's just they don't okay. go anywhere. So um, it's, it's pretty much an environmental difference. And, and, and the behavior being the same, or an elk being an elk, is I can, I can apply the same methods I use here to mm-hmm. an east side hunt, and the elk will react a very similar way, as long as I understand the environment's different. So I have to look for the animal uh, in a different spot than what typically I would look for here on the west side. Okay. And um, I noticed this. I mean, there's obviously some physical differences, a lot of it being with the bone on their head, but there's also body size. Aren't they typically quite a bit larger over there, like body size? You know, I, you know, let's take my 2012 bull. He's an exceptionally large bull for uh, for even the area he was in. But uh, body-wise, um, you know, those big Rocky Mountain bulls that can get really big. And um, I'd say on average, uh, the, probably the bull, the mature bull size isn't that much different. Mm-hmm. Um, when you step up into the, the you know, the 10 to 12-year-old range, is where you just you see because these elk here on the west side have a f- constant food source. Right. During the winter, they're not they're not really starving, although it is harder for them to find food. But uh, they're they're typically a little bit larger, I would say. And, and and I would I would argue if you took an elk from that environment over there and put them here, they would probably grow to be fairly big as well. But um, mm-hmm. so it's just a matter of a matter of the fact that, you know, the coast is a more temperate environment and, uh, you know, there's the winters aren't as harsh because the ocean exactly. basically keeps everything. Yeah, even though it gets cold, you're not seeing nearly as much snow. and, and, and Yeah, there's, they don't have this big long trek for migration. You know, they're not traveling 50 to 100 miles. Or, you know, for an elk mm-hmm. here on the west side to migrate is going from the top of the 25-foot hill to the bottom and that's really all they have to do to get out of the snow so yeah you know there's less stress throughout the winter and there's um, more food supply and whatnot Uh, as far as horn size you know you got genetics that come into play you got nutrition you got minerals there's there's a lot of things that I truly don't understand Mm -hmm. because we'll have 340 inch Roosevelt you know which is hard to find a 340 inch Rocky Mountain so yeah. yeah, there's something there. I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, there was, there yeah, was a guy in the camp that I was hunting with. Uh, he went and sat. Um, he was a guided hunter, and he he was getting sat in, in a different apple orchard that had apples and whatever. Uh, he ended up shooting a 300 inch rosy, which that, is uh, a, uh, a big, yeah, big that's quite the accomplishment, yeah. Pretty awesome bull, yeah. He was cool. Big SLB. Yeah, John. A, John, I don't think that the the Roosevelts have to expend nearly as much energy to find their food or to move from where they they feed to where they bed, and we we see that, and you know, even in September where we find the bulls, kind of hanging out mid mountain to where they where they bed um, to where they actually feed. You know, they're not traveling real real long ways. So if you're 
you know, take us, if you live a more sedentary lifestyle and you're burning less calories, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to get bigger and by bigger, I mean fatter, you know, and these bulls on this right. side, they, they tend to do that. They just don't expend the energy to get to food. You know, most of them you can, if you find them bedded down, you can just sit there and watch them lean over and eat. You know, they don't have to get up and move back down to the feeding grounds. They don't, they just right, don't have right, that. Right. It's just around. So it's a buffet for them all the time. And, you know, like Americans, you sit around the buffet all the time, you're going to get fat. So these bulls get big yeah. over here just uh, purely because of that. Well, what are some and of no the... no lack of water. Oh, no lack of water. Yeah, don't right? forget that. Yeah. You know, that, that, <laughs> that's the whole part. You know how, like, everybody's always talking about, oh, we had a really good water year and we had really good, you know, mm-hmm. feed year this year. The antlers are going to be big. It's, it just drives me crazy that they got good feed and good water all the time and that they don't typically have the same... Uh, headgear that the you know that their cousins have, and uh, yeah. Anyway, but that's a that's a biology uh, yeah. thing that I we don't need to get into because I'm sure we're going to put people to sleep if we get into that. <laughs> um, so, but I, one of the other questions I got was, um, you know, what are some of the things that you could do to stack the odds in your favor? Like, you know, kind of kind of walk me through. Uh, well, what, what, what. you hear you hear a bull bugling off on on a ridge. Take me from that. Well, I think number one, in order to hear a bull bugle, you got to be hunting where elk are. So that's right. Of course, find where <laughs> where elk are, are are living by by looking at rubs and sign and and whatnot like that. So as soon as I find an area that I want to hunt, and, and I typically do hunt brand new area every year. Uh, part of the reason for that is just so I continue to progress in my learning of all different places. So I, I'm never without a spot to go to. Right. So as, as soon as I find an area, I locate a bull. And uh, over the years, I've, I've learned to identify what elk I can kill. And it's, okay. it's not just getting an answer. It's getting an answer that has the emotion behind it that I know that, okay, this is an animal of the social status that I'm looking for. And I can't say I'm hunting big bulls, really, because I don't know how big their horns are going to be. But what I am mm-hmm. hunting is I'm hunting a certain social status, this animal that is the king in his own right in his area. So what I'm going to do is as soon as I get an answer from him, I'm just going to, without hesitation, head. I've got to get the wind right, but I'm just going to head right straight at him. And, okay. and then I'm only going to bugle enough to keep him reacting to me. I'm not going to sit there and try to have a conversation because, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what they're saying. I just mm-hmm. know that by doing certain calls, be it barks, grunts, chuckles, or just locate bugles, that I get the I get certain reactions from them. So mm-hmm. I will just I'll push in, I'll scream at them. I will not try to be quiet. Um, elk are very loud. And right. that elk believes that I am an elk. So that is part of the calling sequence is, right. is to be loud as you're walking. Yeah, so, and that makes perfect sense. And that's why you go straight at him because a bull wouldn't go in a circle. Exactly. You know, exactly. not, not usually anyway, but... Well, they'll, you know, not, they typically do wind arts and stuff, but I'm even going beyond that and saying, you know, it doesn't matter what the wind's doing. I'm going to go straight at you. You know, I know I'm getting the wind in my favor, but 
Right. In his mind, I don't care about that. I'm just going right at him. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, so I'll push in as far as I can get to him, and I, I will hit him a few times on my way because I need to know where he is mm-hmm. and uh, where he's going if he is starting to push his cows, which is a reaction. And a lot of people look at it as a negative reaction, but a bull pushing his cows away from me means that he's actually concerned that what I'm right. doing is working. So he's going to find a comfortable, safe place, which is usually wherever they're – he's is usually bed down, be it a bull or a bench or something. He's going to feel comfortable. And at that mm-hmm. point, I know he'll turn and come right back in to me. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very simple and it's very primitive how I, how I go about it. And I've cut out all the BS, really, throughout the years – Oh, you know, I got to uh, I got to give him some chuckles, and then now I got to hit him with this, mm-hmm. or I got to throw some cow calls to him. No, it's really simple and it's very primitive. I'm just yelling at him, saying, "I'm coming, I'm coming for you, and I'm not going to stop." Okay. Now, let me ask you this, um, and then I'll I'll explain to you where my where my head's at. Do you try to sound like a beatable bull, like a lesser bull than him, even though you're you're being aggressive, but you do you try to let them know that you're, eh, I think I could probably beat that guy, even though he's coming at me, you know? No, I, I don't say I do that. Um, I, I try to be, I sound as big and as aggressive as I possibly can, and, and I know I could never sound as big and as deep and as aggressive as a real elk, even a small bull. I right. just don't have the lung capacity or, okay. uh, you know, everything that I need. So I try to sound as big as I can possibly be. And you got to remember okay. that that elk has won the battles he needs to win to have the social status that he has right now. So in his mind, there isn't a bigger, badder bull. Right. The one He's that already won already. fights. Yeah. He's king shit. Okay. Yeah, so exactly. by, by default, by default, because you're, you're, you know, like you said, your lung capacity or whatever you are, you already sound like a beatable bull and in his, in his head, he's already king shit. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm beatable in his mind or I'm just – he don't recognize me, number one, and he's won the right. he's needed to win. So whether I do sound huge, um, he could care less about how I sound, and he's just going to meet right. me on his terms mm-hmm. in his environment and, you know, defend what he is already in his mind. He has won. So. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, don't forget too, John. Like the the you know the way that we react it, it, at a certain point, if your family or your livelihood or your children or whatever are, are at stake, it doesn't matter how big the guy is. You're still going to fight. You know, even if you don't have a chance, you're still going to. And, and these elk will react the exact same way. Like he's going to defend everything that he can until the death, because that's just in in his DNA. That's his makeup. It doesn't matter how big the other bull is. You know, right. little bulls get in there and tangle with big bulls all the time. Um, so going in aggressive like that and trying to, trying to be big doesn't necessarily deter them. And if it does, it's, you know, you, you probably find out real quick that maybe he wasn't the, the big mature bull that you were looking for. Cause we, you know, we're targeting and Shannon was earlier, earlier saying hunting in areas to find specific bulls. We're, we're targeting specific rubs. You know, if we see a little mm-hmm. sapling that's been whittled down to nothing, um, you know, and no other rubs in the area, we're not going to really stop and spend much time there. But if we get a big fir tree that's got a nine and a half foot rub on it that's in, in a bunch of other rubs in the, in the local area, you know, there's a mature bull there. So that's what we're focusing on. Um, 
so it's more than likely we are we are working a big bull um, just purely by the nature of, of design on what we do. Right. So that kind of leads me into what I was going to ask you was what what are you looking for when you're scouting? So you've already said that you're, you're looking for big rubs. What are some of the other characteristics when you try to pick a new area? Well, I mean, why don't you back up all the way? I mean, you said that you're trying to hunt in new spots every year. Where do you, how do you start that, that process? Yeah. Um, well, I started sitting at the desk or at the end of every season, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I just look for new places. I look for places that are, are fairly remote and I don't like clear cuts. And I know a lot of people, there is a lot of elk around clear cuts. It's a huge food source, but it's right. also a huge um, attraction to most hunters. You mm-hmm. know, so your average, let's say your average age of the elk population, even though it may be bigger, is a little younger around uh, right. easily hunted areas. So I tend to focus on, you know, places that that haven't been logged in quite some time and doesn't have a tons of road access and is just more remote and, and okay. oftentimes overlooked by by majority of the hunting population because, you know, unless you're calling, unless you're vocal, you really can't effectively hunt it. You can drive down yeah. the road, you can look in the timber and never see a thing. Or uh, you know you can get out and you can you can be vocal and and, and entice that um, that interaction with them. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of that starts on the internet too. I mean, we, we'll use Google Maps and Google Earth just as much as as anybody else to find those areas um, because you know there that is a huge advantage now. In the last five years, it's probably become an extremely popular way to to scout and figure out where road access is and figure out where these big stands of timber are and, and different valleys and drainages and how they all tie together without actually even having to step foot in them. You have no idea what it's going to be like once you get there, um, course, you know, and boots yeah. on the ground is the best way to do it. But, you know, you can get a, sure get a head start by, by utilizing the Internet and your resources from that way, topographical maps, to, you know, toggling back and forth between that and Google Maps and, and uh, satellite imagery. Well, you know, once you get there, you almost feel like you've been in it, even though you haven't. Um, you know, so that that's a, a huge advantage that we have now, and I don't maybe one that most people don't take enough enough advantage of. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, when you're looking on Google Earth and stuff, are you looking for certain landscape features? I know you said you try to stay away from, um, you know, clear cuts and stuff like that. Are you looking for like real benchy type stuff? Are you looking for like a lot of ridges or a lot of cuts or, um, you know, anything specific that you're like, oh, there's going to be elk here. Well, um, elk are going to be, that's hard to explain, but uh, where you find them in a sense. But, you know, I can I can see some commonalities when I'm looking from, like, a satellite. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like, these big bulls typically like to be in deeper, uh, more remote canyons that have a fairly flat bottom to them. Okay. Um, be it because there's food or, or whatever it may be, but. But in Oregon, I found that if I find a canyon with a flat bottom, that there's probably going to be elk. Well, there's probably elk in every canyon, but there's probably going to be a bull in that canyon that I want to hunt. So, uh, yeah, I look for bulls. I look for water. Water is a huge, a huge deal during September. You know, a lot of the little streams are dried up, and, and those are a big animal. They need, they need lots of water. So I look for that, and typically where there's water, there's going to be food. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Water remoteness, um, 
you know, the big flat bottoms. And again, the big flat bottoms mean there's generally grass or, or some sort of food supply down there. Cool. Yeah, one thing we've found too is that, you know, as nasty as it looks from the from the ridge top when we're up there, um, you find where these animals live. It's it's a park-like setting. So as, when Shannon was saying it's very deterrent to a lot of hunters, you know, especially rifle hunters, if they're driving a road and getting out, I mean, you can't, you're not really looking for Roosevelt's in areas where you can glass, at least not the way that, that we do it. So it could be really discouraging. And uh, when you're staring at, you know, 20-foot-tall salmon berries and rhododendrons that would devour your house and, you know, all old-growth timber and six-foot-tall sword ferns, it doesn't look real inviting from the road if you want to drop off or off a trail if you want to drop into one of these canyons. Um, and they're steep. You know, it's about a three-to-one uh, rise over run. We figured out that, you know, for every three feet up, it's about a foot out, and it makes it really difficult to, to travel through some of the terrain. But once you get down to where those elk live, it is a totally different area, different environment than where, where we're at up on the tops of these ridges. Um, so you have to be willing to make that sacrifice and to, to jump down in there, um, you know, right. not knowing necessarily if you're going to get, you know, if you're going to have a good encounter with that bull when you get to the bottom or not. But you have to make that sacrifice. You have to be willing to take the plunge and, and step off the, the trail or the road and start heading down in. So oh, it, yeah. uh, it definitely definitely changes the environment once you get down into it, though, for sure. They don't, they, you know, they're not going to live in blackberries and sticker bushes. They're, they're going to live actually where it's pretty nice. But yeah. you've got to get down oh. to it. And if I can see them from Google Earth, then I know there's elk there, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which does happen from time to time. You can actually see a herd. Yeah, once in a while. I've actually seen that before looking looking over uh, in Arizona. Because Arizona's, you know, there's parts that are super, super thick, but most of the, you know, the, the, the tree canopy is relatively open. That's why our elk do so well, because the grass grows real good underneath the trees. Um but, um, yeah, I've actually seen that, too. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen it a few times looking in the in the bottoms or in clear cuts. Yeah, a couple of fields, people's fields. People's fields, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, I mean, from what I remember, it's just, like I said, super, super thick. I mean, I didn't see I didn't see my knees the whole time I was there, and you know, aside from the couple of clear cuts or whatever, what do you do during late season when you can't really call? I mean, you're and glassing's yeah, not really an option. I, I don't. We I mean, deer I hunt. Being an option. You meal deer hunt? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I kind of quit. I quit hunting late season, well, years and years ago in in Washington, mostly because you know, they can only kill cows or something, and, and and taking cows out of the herd is pretty detrimental to the herd. So I I chose not to do that. Killing mm-hmm. elk isn't necessarily super important. I'm not going to starve to death if I don't get one. So I typically don't right. hunt after after the September hunts, but. You know, if I was giving advice on people, I'd say cow call so you find the herd, and then that will lead you to maybe a uh, a bull hanging out with a herd, which typically your more mature bulls have, have already gone off on their own. But uh, gotcha. you may get lucky and find one of those younger ones still hanging out with mom. Yeah, yeah. Many and many times, just in my experience, because in the past I had I had late season muzzleloaded hunting in Washington. 
um, you're hunting different areas. You know, now your tactics change. Now you're back to hunting more of a traditional rifle style where you're getting into areas where you can glass and can see and you are looking for tracks as your, as your big uh, indicator that there's elk in the area um, going to places that you know that hold elk, especially throughout the early part of the winter, um, you know, pre, pre-migration, uh, and, and you're doing more glassing. And, and like Shannon said, you're doing more cow calling and you're trying to locate the other animals in the herd, not necessarily that herd bull because he's not going to, He's not going to respond to a bugle that time of year, so you you just change up your tactics and adapt to what it is that you have to do at that point in time to find elk. Um, but you know, to be really honest with you, it, it's been several years since I've even had to hunt. Well, either one of us have had to hunt the late, had even an opportunity to hunt the late season because you tag out in September. It's, there is no late season, right. so um, you know, I'm just speaking on going on what I would do in the past during the muzzleloader season, which coincided with the late archery and the late rifle season, or sorry, the late archery season. Um, the rifle season was already done. And after the rifle season here is, is over, things are pretty shot up and, and the animals are, yeah, are, yeah, are yeah. much, they, they behave much different than they do when you catch them in September and early October. So it, it oh, changes how you have to target those animals for sure. Um, you know, with the population of people that we have up here in general over the counter rifle tags that, you know, that you can just walk into damn near any gas station and buy in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of pressure on these animals during the, the, the late or during the rifle season. Um, you know, much different than like in Arizona where you guys don't just have that general over the counter tag that's easy and accessible for everybody. Yeah. So. Although, I mean, it might as well be freaking... I mean, some of these units on that late season bull hunt. I mean, they'll they'll give out you know several hundred tags, and it's oh man. My wife last year got a uh, unit seven east, and what a shit show! It was like war 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 three. Like uh, so, I purposely went to my this this at this glassing knob. I purposely went there a couple days earlier and pitched a tent right on the top of this thing, you know, made it real obvious that some big orange, you know, tent that somebody was up here. And I got to that, the base of that 45 minutes early, like before light, you know, 45 minutes earlier in the dark, got to the top and there were still two guys up there and another five other guys (laughs) climbed up there to glass from there. And then your tent, they didn't care. They were probably hoping for breakfast. They didn't give a crap. And then you know what? The worst thing about it was, so my wife was six months pregnant. She was a trooper. She's like, I, I don't care. We're going to go. All right, fine. Oh. We went. And um, so we spot these elk, and they're like 1,700 yards away, maybe a little, even a little bit further at this point. And I'm like, nobody else is paying attention. They have no clue that we're looking at these, these bulls. There's a five of them, a string of them, starting to walk up the ridge. Get all our stuff together, and I'm get over to the ATV, and I'm going to take off. These guys, instead of like, they saw that we were going after the elk, so they turned around, they started glassing them. They started shooting from right there. And, and over the top of us. I mean, we're already on our way to go to try to kill these elk. They started shooting over the top of us. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you gotta be, yeah. that wasn't the only that wasn't the only time we i was we were driving i was switching spots and my buddy jake is like there's elk up on the ridge so i stopped the truck we get her out and there was this one the one road that was it was down in like um 
like a drainage. And that's the road we were in. And we were looking up to our right, and there was, and there was another road on the other side of the ridge. And two guys stopped on ATVs and shot over the top of us across the canyon at these elk before we can set up on them. I was like, I'm never yeah. going on this hunt again. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it's like an act of war. Oh, you don't know how many things I've seen on that hunt that I was just, like, baffled. I could sit here for 20 minutes telling you, telling you about stories, but uh, there's another guy some of the... literally running, sprinting with his rifle across the field because he had seen some elk filter. He ended up shooting it, which was kind of cool. We watched it in the binos, but it was just like it was like a scene out of a comedy, you know? It was just, oh, oh unreal, <laughs> unreal. But, uh, yeah, that's part of the reason. Anyway. Those reasons right there why I quit rifle hunting for elk is it just up here it, it turns into a zoo. Like you get guys that you know they want to get to their spot first thing in the morning, so they they go in and sleep in their trucks on a on a landing you know overlooking a clear cut, and then the next morning when it wakes up, you know every every legal bull that's standing in a clear cut literally gets shot, and you could probably sit for the first two hours and count you know a hundred shots in a in a good unit right. that has a lot of elk in it. Um, you know, and it's, and not only that, but then they they pile on cow tags in there as well, and you know, so you've got hundreds of elk being, you know, slaughtered opening morning, and then and then after that, the dynamic of how those elk act completely changes, and it just makes it no more fun. So, stay away from the early season because it rains too much. So don't go there, <laughs> and don't go there in the late season. That's what I'm getting from these guys. Yep. Yeah. Just there stay out of Oregon and Washington. <laughs> yeah. Stay out of there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But uh, anyway, so I got a, another question I got for you is what are the three things you could, uh, you know, attribute your success in the field to? I think number one is probably failure. Because I've learned from – and I've analyzed every time that I've failed – at what my goal for that particular moment was, whether it was just calling an elk in or if it was uh, getting a shot or actually killing one. But uh, I've analyzed every situation. I think about it all the time. Is, is those are the ones I've learned from or the ones I failed at. And then, cause, you know, a successful hunt, you just fried off as being successful. You did everything just right. But a failure, you tend to remember those. And if you you really try to fix the little things that you can identify, you'll, you'll actually improve and, and get better at what you're doing. So that would be number one. Number two, I, I would say persistence and never give up on whatever strategy that you believe in. And, and we'll, we'll grind it out out there on the public land for a week straight without hearing a bull answer. But as soon as we get an answer mm-hmm. and we get in there and we call this bull and we kill it, it's been the best hunting season ever so far. Right. So right. I'd say just be persistent, never never give up. Um, and it, it's a very fun thing. It's a very intimate thing when you're out there. So make sure that the people that you're doing it with, you truly enjoy spending time with them. Or yeah. you're going to find bitterness in what you're doing. And, and I, would, I really insist that people do it with friends and family, kind of like what I have been lucky and fortunate enough to do over the years. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I second that for sure. Um, I've been fortunate enough to to have a pretty close knit group, but there was a time that I had a revolving door of, you know, people that just uh, wanted, and I'm okay with people wanting to learn, yeah. you know, not necessarily learn my spots, but learn, 
you know, how to and, and you know, uh, improve their skills. But um, it can get a can get a little tiresome when uh, you know. If you're the, doing uh, it for the wrong I guess, reasons, if you're, I guess say yeah, like it's not if it's not reciprocated, then it, yeah, it gets exactly. to be a so. If you're starting sure. to feel like a guide, it's time to change your. <laughs> yeah. Well, doing. I don't know. I kind of always feel like I'm a guy. <laughs> Only because yeah. yeah. that's not not necessarily true. I have a couple. Of, I have a you know a couple of good close friends that I um, I consider equals for sure that I hunt with. But um, a lot of my family, um, and like I, I hunt a lot with my father-in-law, and um, I feel like a guide. I feel like a Sherpa. I feel like a you know, pack mule. freaking pack mule. I feel like it all when I'm hunting with him. But he's a he's an awesome man, and he's he's uh, he's a really cool guy. So, but um, yeah, and John, I'll add to that too. Like I'll add to the the success part, uh, um, and kind of tag on to what Shannon said about friends. Like the friends that you hunt with don't just they can't just be friends. They have to share a passion for the outdoors and for elk hunting or deer hunting or whatever you're doing just as, you know, almost as equal as you do, um, or else it, it just doesn't really work. And, um, I've experienced that in the past. I'm sure Shannon's experienced that in the past. So you get people who come along that just, they're not in it for the same reasons. And, um, you know, that you end up doing all the work, uh, you know, whether it's early season scouting or, um, you know, spending time finding the animals and learning how to, how to bugle and, and spending time looking at, maps and figuring out where to go and then they just want to show up and expect that things are going to happen and then they they wonder why you're successful and they're not even though they're kind of more or less hunting along the side of you so finding finding somebody with that that equal passion you know like as we most of the people that are in the hunting industry and that you know are are truly passionate about it this is something that's on our mind 365 days a year this isn't like oh you know summer's over now i guess you know i just got done fishing well maybe i'll start you know, thinking about, think about elk hunting and get my bow out, maybe shoot it a couple times or go set my rifle in and then I'm ready to go. You know, this is, this is literally something that you're doing year round. You know, for us, it's, you know, whether we're shooting or working on film or videos or trying to figure out what we're going to do for the next season, that's going to improve what we did the season before. Uh, You know, there's a lot of people who don't do that. Like, and so we're, we're constantly trying to evolve and trying to get better and, and, uh, and, and that's only possible if you're doing it with people who share that same passion. You know, if you, if yeah. they don't, then, then, then they're just trying to ride on your coattails. Oh so. yeah, for sure. No, luckily I do have that. Cause my cousins, uh, especially my cousin, Anthony, he, I mean, that guy does more research than anybody I haven't met in my life. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I he's he probably used successful. to be back in the day. Um, he, he does pretty well. He does pretty well. When he, when he wants to, <laughs> when, yeah. he get, when he gets out of his own head, he does pretty well. But, uh, no, like I, I used to have it back in the day where, you know, I was always the guy organizing the trip. Even if we were going on like, you know, going to out of state and going to outfit or even, I, I was always the guy that was like making the travel plans and it just got, it got old. It, it got old. And I could see where you guys are coming from that being, you know, being huge, just being, uh, being with the right people makes a big difference for sure. Sure. Yeah. Even spending the time putting out trail cameras or just going and driving in the woods and finding new areas. And, and you can learn a lot, you know, even right now going out and, and, and uh, finding last year's rubs, 
you know, you learn a lot from that. And there's there's massive amounts of information out there that you can get if you're passionate about it. If you want to, if you want to ensure your success for the next season, that doesn't mean that when the season, the previous season's over, you just stop and then you pick it up, you know, September 1st or whatever the following year. Uh, there's a lot that can be learned and done in in the in between time, and it, and it and it's a commonality amongst guys too. It brings people together. You know, it, it just it it makes for an enjoyable. Uh, partnership and friendship with the people that you go out with because it's something that you know I, I talked to I mean Shannon and I we talked messages and stuff all the time about elk hunting and right. my other guys that I hunt with same thing you know my guy I hunt with Washington same same thing all the time we're constantly you know what can we do different this year you know what new gears out what things can we improve on um, you know and, and it and it just makes this the season go by the, the other seasons, the non-hunting seasons go by and uh, just make you want for September even that much more. Absolutely. So uh, I want to hear about your most memorable hunts. Whoever wants to start first. Go ahead. Well, why don't you go ahead, Shannon? Give me your most memorable hunt. Uh, I'll give you, well, the 2012 uh, Eastside 393 oh, yeah. bull is, is definitely up there. I wouldn't say it's my most memorable. I, in 2008... I had a Washington and an Oregon tag, and I, I set out a goal. The year before, in 2007, I killed a five-point Washington, a five-point Oregon. And I set out to kill a pair of six points, which I don't know if anybody's ever done it, to double up on six points in, in the Oregon and Washington on the west side. And okay. I accomplished that goal, and those two hunts to this day I can remember, like, per the second, you know, how those hunts both uh, materialized and, and, and went down. So... Those are a huge accomplishment for me personally. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then seeing my dad kill his first elk with a bow and arrow was uh, was one of those right up there at the very top as well. Awesome. What about you, Corey? Um, mine's probably, I'm going to say, the biggest bull that I've killed uh, with archery equipment. Um, I... People in the Northwest know Shannon, and anybody that assumes that you hunt with Shannon, that he's he's our guide. Um, so that's uh, that's something that you know for somebody like myself that's you know ultra competitive and uh, very independent and doesn't want to just rely on. I don't want to rely on anybody else to do anything for me if I can do it on my own. Um, I killed mm-hmm. a bull two years ago that probably. We've, we're a guest. I have ne- we have never put a tape to it, but somewhere in the 280 range. Um, and for Coastal Roosevelt is a is a pretty he's a he's a, nice he's a really nice bull. And uh, you know the and and I killed him um, solo with one other guy that was with me. Um, my Washington hunt, hunting partner uh, was filming, and luckily for me, it was uh, Shannon wasn't around. Uh, I was the second bull that I killed without him there. And it's it's um as as weird as that sounds, it was. It, extremely memorable because I had a lot of people that say, Oh, you want to kill bulls cause you hunt with Shannon. And, right. um, and that, so that, so that's, that's tough for, for somebody who wants to do it on their own and doesn't want to be, you know, thought of as, you know, you want to kill something because you're with somebody else. Well, no asshole. Like I do this because this is what I've poured my life into learning how to do and, and getting to a level of accomplishment on my own. Um, you know, I will flat out tell everybody that my success has my success rate has gone way up um, since I started hunting with Shannon, and it's because I, I learn a lot from other people too. And his tactics and techniques and what he does um, has clearly made me a better elk hunter. 
and right. then to take to take that that learning and I was successful before don't get me wrong like I'd killed I'd killed elk several elk before Shannon and I even started hunting together but my I have not gone a year since that I haven't killed at least one bull sometimes two in Washington and Oregon um, but the, the success is because of the system that Shannon explained earlier. It's it's hunting right. that exact same way and applying it to everything that I do. And so going and, and killing a really, really nice bull on my own, um, to me, stands out as one of my absolute most memorable experiences. Um, you know, prior to that, I would have to say it was the very first bull that I had ever killed. And, and kind of like what Shannon said, like having my dad along on that trip, it was a black powder kill, but having my dad there was was pretty awesome. Um, but you know, to call in a bull to within 19 yards and and stick him with an arrow on your own um, is something that's that's yeah. will never it will it will never leave your mind. It is imprinted yeah. in there, and it will never go away. So, um, but a lot of that is because of who I who I choose to run with, you know, and um, and and who you run with it says a lot about who you are and and. Uh, and I'm a firm believer in that. It's kind of a, you know, if you got one team, one dream type of deal, um, that's yep. that's big time when yep. it really comes down to to measuring levels of success. Absolutely. I, you know, um, I kind of feel your pain. I don't kind of feel your pain. I definitely feel your pain with the whole, oh, you only kill things because you're this, or you only kill things because of that. And shit, man, I, I I get that all the time. All the time. I read a I read a comment that somebody made on your uh, uh, you took a screenshot of it and they said you only kill things because you hunt in, on farms with fences. Right. Come on. You know. I mean, seriously. I mean, and and I and I hate and I I hate when you put me in a position that I have to start bragging about myself or you know yep. like talking about myself because like. It just, I, I'm not that way. I don't like to say, well, you know, I've done this and I've done that and I've done this and I've done that. And it just, it just drives me freaking insane. And I, I'm like, I just started like, you know, anytime you want to compare resumes, brother, just let me know. <laughs> you want to come compare trophy rooms, let me know. You know, it's just like, I, it, it, it drives me insane. Cause you know what? I, I don't really hunt alone anymore. I haven't hunted alone in, for the last 12 years, because I've always got a cameraman with me. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, but 90 some odd percent of my hunts are all public land, you know, do-it-yourself hunts. Every once in a while, I get lucky and get to hunt on private lands, okay? And even even less so, once in a while, I have an outfitter. But it's like, it's only because, you know, of the situation, like, Somebody, I, and, and I have so many friends, that's the other thing, too, is I have so many friends that are guides. So it's like, if I go hunting with one of my friends, uh, oh, no, well, you know, so-and-so guided. You're hunting with a guide. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I'm yeah. like you, know, I, you know, I used to guide, too, you know. Had my yeah. guide license for a long time. You know, I, it's like, I don't know, man, I, but I feel you. That's a, that's yeah. a shitty, shitty thing, especially when you've, you've, put the time in and you've busted your ass to, to, to one, to make a name for yourself and two, to have the success that you had, you know, it's just jealousy, man. Uh, th- there's so much jealousy in this industry. It's, it's ridiculous. Very yes. 
Well, because, I mean, come on. It's, uh, it's driven by, uh, you know, a certain personality type. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a very uh, chess beater, you know, guy. Mm-hmm. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I mean, and that's kind of what My it is. It's bigger than yours. Exactly. So, and, and social media has made it freaking oh, tenfold. Because oh, everybody wants to feel it. good yeah. about themselves. They're like, oh, look at this. You know, look at this. I mean, you see it all the time. And even just like simple posts like, oh, I just wanted to ask this question about what you guys think about my, about my group of arrows that I just shot. And he's showing you like, <laughs> you know, five arrows touching each other. And he's making up some bullshit thing because he just wants to show you that he, that he shot a group that close, you know? And it's like, maybe, maybe allegedly shot a group that close. You don't even know because you weren't there. Exactly, you know, so, but, yeah, I don't let it get to you, man. I swear, if I let it get to me, I mean, once in a while, you know, my, my lid pops, but if, the, the the more popular you get, the more, you know, exposure you, you get, it's just, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse, you know, and I've been, I've been preaching it for years now, this, like, hunter-on-hunter hate, so to speak, is just ridiculous and drives me insane. Because you never catch me saying any of that shit, you know. Anyway, well, yeah, it, I mean, it's not it's not as as clean cut as it used to be, where it was like, you know, here's my Polaroid, and uh, and this is what I, you know, this is what I, or here's my here's the rack, and just come look at it, and that's it, you know. And now with social media, it is. You're right, it is um, exacerbated, and it's it's uh, it's changing the way that the industry is run, and it's kind of unfortunate. And I guarantee you that some of the best hunters that are out there. No, nobody's ever, nobody ever knows who they are. You could say their oh, name yeah, to a hundred people sure. and they would have no idea because there, there are some that just, they just keep their mouth shut and, and do their thing and they could, you know, give a rat's ass about what everybody else is doing. Um, you know, they just go out and do their thing year after year, you know, and um, then you have, you know, scenarios like right now, it's in here staring at Shannon's trophy room and there's, I don't know, 20 ish big mature bulls hanging on the wall and it's, you know, there's there's a room to back it up, um, and a lot of them have been killed on film too. So you know, you start making a name for yourself, and then people know who you are, and then uh, you know, and that that comes with pressure itself too. So oh yeah, um, <laughs> tell me about you it. You know, different different type of pressure. You know, if you don't kill something, then what? You know? Yeah, yeah, but, for sure, for sure. I I live my seasons. My seasons are five five to six days at a time and I travel all over the country. So uh, believe me, I know what pressure feels like everywhere I go. I'm like, I got five, six days to get this done. Let's do it. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. And that that makes it tough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all I got for you guys, man. Uh, Where can our listeners find out more about you? Um, so we, our social media stuff is, uh, at angry spike productions on Instagram. Uh, they can find us on Facebook, um, just using the angry spike productions in the search. And then you can link to both of those through our website, which is angry spike or angry spike productions.com. We'll both, will get you there. Um, there's links to some of our older videos that are, on uh, our VHX site where you can still download um, for a small fee. Um, we, we will 
probably I'll, I'll create a coupon code for your listeners, John, and they can go on there and get a discount if they want to watch some some old in your face in your face Roosevelt uh, action. Um, in fact, let's just do that now. I'll make a, a coupon code, John Stallone, and then anybody that's listening, um, there'll be a discount associated with that. So if they want to get on and download, it won't cost much of anything at all. Uh, and we do have a bunch of stuff that we're going to be coming out with here pretty soon. We're just finalizing some videos um, to start putting out uh, onto a YouTube channel that will get started up. And uh, we're sitting on several years of content and a lot of a lot of dead animals. Um, so we just—it's just a matter of taking the time. This isn't what we do for for full time, so we got to take the time to yep. uh, do it when it's our spare time and get things out. Which, when you're not getting paid, is always a, a bit of a challenge yeah. to find that time to do yeah. it. So, absolutely. Well, awesome, man. Well, I want to thank both of you guys for coming on and uh, you know sharing your knowledge with us and you know shooting the shit a little bit. It's uh, it's definitely a, a nice change, you know, because I don't really get. Uh, get to talk about Roosevelt elk very often. And, uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. All right, well, maybe I'll uh, I'll get to see you guys one of these years when I come out that way. uh, Yeah, absolutely. I'll let let you guys – do you guys ever – do you guys put in for Arizona or no? Uh, We don't. No. No. Wyoming – but then when you got Washington and Oregon too, it's a it's a lot yeah. to already to to work in. Not that I mean, don't get me wrong, the bulls in Arizona are worth are worth hunting. But from yeah, what I hear, it's a, a long time to draw. Well, when we get off the phone here, I'll uh, I'll tell you a couple of secrets that I'm not going to share. With you. <laughs> Absolutely. Right but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, we we did look this year. We started looking at uh, that mule deer and, and coos hunt down there. Um, I've got friends that live in Arizona, so we started talking about that. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's something else we can discuss too. Yeah, anything else you ever want to come out and help, need help with that? Let me know, man. Any excuse I get to go out, I'm I'm all about it. Perfect. So that's my absolutely that's my favorite time of year. All, all right, right thanks again, well, John. 